Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. We are going to continue tonight with this that we uh, began the other Wednesday on the platform you stand on. And uh, I'll reiterate that the platform for any organization is simply what that organization believes and holds to be the truth. And uh, we use the illustration that if I invite someone to our platform in the church, uh, it is because we agree and believe the same things. We're on the same platform. Uh, I had a family member one time that was in the ministry, and uh, they were ministering, and, and uh, uh, I didn't agree with what they were ministering. We couldn't get on the same platform. And so consequently, uh, you know, I didn't invite them to minister at the church. They wanted to come, but I, I didn't invite them. And people say, well, they were family. Yeah, but I couldn't agree with their platform. Yeah. Right? And here's the thing. When we cast our votes, and I, and I want to reiterate something real quick. This is not just about voting. It's not just something that is taught in an election season. It's when we cast our votes, we're setting ourselves in agreement with whatever party platform we support, period. I'm in agreement with that. And someone will say, well, you know, I voted for this party, but I don't agree with that. It, 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 if, it, if the plank is in the platform, you get it all. Whether you agree with it or not. And there are good, godly men and women on both sides of the aisle. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not painting one party as the party of the demons, all right? What I'm saying is I know there are godly people on both sides, but there are godly people on some sides that the party platform goes against the things of God and they try to vote for that party and act like they don't get that. Right? But you do. You get it all. The platform for any party will be the driving agenda for all their legislation. That's what will drive it. And the platform is what they're going to push to accomplish over the next four years and beyond. All right, so whatever the platform is for the next four years, they're going to fight to get that enacted, to put that into law, to rescind different things, to do different things, and it's so important. Now, we looked at last week uh, where the party stood on the subject of abortion, and I'm trying to touch the, 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 the big three in this teaching because obviously I don't have time to go through all of them uh, before election time. Uh, tonight... Where do the parties stand on supporting Israel? Where do they stand on supporting Israel? Because you have to understand something that's very important. There are two criteria by which any nation is judged. And that's how they treat the people of Israel and how they think about the land of Israel. All right? It's how they think about the people of Israel and how they treat the land of Israel. And it's very important because in, in churches... Churches in our circles and in others, 
you'll hear people talk about how important support of Israel is. But then if you ask them, why is it important? Uh, I don't know. See, a good answer is not the Bible says. I've got to know why the Bible says what it says. Why is this important? Amen. So let's look at this, shall we? Where do the parties stand on supporting Israel? We'll begin with the Democratic Party. Page 91 of the Democratic Party platform. Now, I'll reiterate that you can go online and print these out and look at them. This, these are direct quotes from their most recent party platforms. It says, Democrats recognize the worth of every Israeli and Palestinian. That's why we will work to bring an end to a conflict that has brought so much pain to so many. We support, here's an important phrase, a two-state solution. Two-state solution, keep that in mind. That ensures Israel's future as a Jewish and democratic state with recognized borders and upholds the right of Palestinians to live in freedom and security in a viable state of their own. Democrats oppose any unilateral steps by either side. Here's an important phrase. Including annexation that undermine prospects of two states. There's that phrase again. Democrats will continue to stand against incitement and terror. Then it says this. Keep this in mind. We oppose settlement expansion. We oppose settlement expansion. Now those are going to be very important phrases when we look at what the scripture says. Now that's, that's all on page 91 of the Democratic National Platform. Where does the Republican Party stand on supporting Israel? Page 47 of their platform. Like the United States of America, the modern state of Israel is a country born from the aspiration for freedom and stands out among the nations as a beacon of democracy and humanity. Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. They are surrounded by their neighbors, on, by their enemies on all sides, and they're the only democracy in the Middle East. Israel is the only Middle Eastern country where the Christian population is not only present, but thriving and growing. Israel is a nation that promotes religious freedom. They have, they have representatives from all popular religions there, including Christianity. And it's thriving. It is a democracy. Beyond our mutual strategic interests, Israel is likewise an exceptional country, that shares our most essential values. It's the only country in the Middle East where freedom of speech and freedom of religion are found. Therefore, support for Israel is an expression of Americanism. And it is the responsibility of our government to advance policies that reflect America's strong desire for a relationship with no daylight between America and Israel. We recognize Jerusalem as the eternal Here's an important word, an indivisible, not just the capital, the indivisible capital of the Jewish state. 
and call for the American embassy to be moved there in fulfillment of U.S. law. Of course, that was fulfilled November, uh, May 14, 2018, uh, when the president officially opened the embassy in Jerusalem. Seventy years to the day that Harry Truman recognized Israel. Now, this is important because of that word, indivisible capital. We reaffirm America's commitment to Israel's security and will ensure that Israel maintains a qualitative military edge over any and all adversaries. We support their right and obligation to defend herself against terror attacks upon its people and against alternate forms of warfare upon it legally, economically, culturally, and otherwise. We reject the false notion that Israel is an occupier. This is important. That Israel is an occupier and specifically recognize that the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, BDS, if you don't know what BDS is, boycott, divestment, and sanctions. In other words, there's a move on, and it's on in Congress, and it's on in Washington, of boycott, divestment, and sanctions. In other words, they want any company, any corporation in America or anywhere else that supports Israel to be boycotted and to have sanctions levied against them. Because that is their hope of economic warfare against Israel. All right? Therefore, we call for effective legislation to thwart actions that are intended to limit commercial relations with Israel or persons or entities doing business in Israel or in Israeli-controlled territories in a discriminatory manner. Now, here's something to understand. As of 2020... 32 state legislatures have passed bills similar to the Israel anti-boycott bill, which is still in Congress. So 32 state legislatures have passed bills saying we're not going to put up with people boycotting, trying to divest, or sanction Israel. Now, it's still in Congress. It hadn't been passed yet, but we're praying that it will be. Amen. We oppose any measures... Actually, excuse me, the United States seeks to assist in the establishment of comprehensive and lasting peace in the Middle East to be negotiated among those living in the region. We oppose any measures intended to impose an agreement, here's an important phrase, or dictate borders or other terms. And we call for the immediate termination of all U.S. funding of any entity that attempts to do so. Our party is proud to stand with Israel now and always. So that's what the parties say. Now we, we, we drew your attention to certain phrases because we're going to go to the scripture. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Genesis 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, well, he said to him in chapter 11... Verse 31, get out of your country from your kindred, from your father's house into a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I'll bless them that bless, I will bless you and make your name great and you'll be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you and in you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. So the Lord had said to Abram, I want you to get out of the country that you're in, Ur of the Chaldees. And I want to take you to a land that I'm going to show you. 
All right, a land that I'm going to show you. In Genesis 15, Genesis 15, verse 6. This is Abram again. And it says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you, notice this, this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how will I know that I'm going to inherit it? And that's when the Lord took him and, and, and he sacrificed those animals and God made a covenant with Abraham. Uh, what was the covenant, what was the sacrifice intended to show? That I'm going to cause you to inherit this land. To inherit this land. Then Genesis 17, verse 6. And I will make you exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come out of you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your seed after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God to you and to your seed after you. And I will give unto you, and to your seed after you, the land wherein you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. So God tells Abraham, the land that you're sojourning in, this land of Canaan, He said, I'm going to give it to you and to your seed after you as an everlasting possession. Now here's where some of the confusion comes in. Because you'll hear people talk, and I've heard even well-meaning Christians say, well, you know, the Arab people are the seed of Abraham too, and, and, and the, the group the world calls the Palestinians, they are the seed of Abraham too. They are not the seed that the land was promised to. There was one seed that the land was promised to, and that was the seed that came through Isaac. Isaac was the promised seed. When, when Ishmael was giving Isaac a hard time, and Sarah got upset about it. And remember what she, remember she told Abraham, gave him the ultimatum? Ultimatum? You know, you may have read it in the Bible, but you never read it the way I read it. And she went to him and said, hey, Abe, you got to do something. You got to get rid of this boy and this woman because my kid ain't growing up with him. Right? And Abe said, oh, man, what am I going to do? And God spoke to him and said, Abraham, don't worry, don't fear. He said, go ahead and do what your wife says. Why would God say that? Because there has to be a separation of the seed of the flesh and the seed of the promise. The seed of the promise was promised the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, for an everlasting possession. Everlastingly. And so God said, go ahead and separate and I'll bless him. And I'll make him a great nation and kings will come out of him. And sure enough, they have. But Ishmael was not promised the land of Israel. Was not promised that. Isaac was promised that. That's important to understand. Because when we use the phrase, a two-state solution, when someone starts promoting a two-state solution, they're saying, take part of the land that God said belonged to Israel as an everlasting possession and give it to somebody that hates Israel as a ploy for peace. Every time someone does that, they're slapping God in the face. Because God said the land is yours, 
everlastingly. That's important. Because you, you, you've got to understand that Israel is the only nation that you can read of in the Word of God where God said, as long as my people Israel are in the land, the land will flourish, the land will bloom, the land will be fruitful. When you look over history from the diaspora, from the dispersion of the Jews, when the Roman Empire dispersed the nation of the Jews, the, the nation of Israel started going down, 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 down. Its fruitfulness began to be nothing. There are people of, of history, of antiquity, that went there, Josephus, Mark Twain, other people, that went there, and they said it's a desert, it's desolate, nothing will grow here, and it wouldn't, and it was fulfilling biblical prophecy. He said the people are going to go away, and when the people go away, the land will dry up, it will not be fruitful, but he said the people are going to return to the land, and when the people return, the land will blossom and bloom. And it has. Today, Israel is one of the number one exporters of produce and fruit in the world. They are the number one producer of flowers and roses in the entire world. Israel receives the same amount of rainfall annually as London, England in the middle of a desert. Why? Because the people are in the land God gave them. Amen. And that's why the Bible says spiritually concerning you and I that when we get where God wants us to be, there will be showers of blessing on our life because we've been brought into the same covenant. We've been brought into that same covenant. And when you're where God told you to be in the land God told you to be in, you're going to prosper, you're going to thrive, and you're going you're to have what you need. And so anytime somebody says, let's substitute and let's give land for peace, you are saying in the face of God, we deny the right for Israel to exist here. This is not their land everlastingly. It's ours to do with what we want. No, there are only, there's only one nation in the entire Bible that God says is mine. And that's Israel. There's only one city that God says, I'll put my name there. And that's Jerusalem. And there's only one natural people group that God says are my people and belong to me. And that's the natural state of Israel that we have been brought into. Glory be to God. And so it's important when a Christian votes that we understand that when we vote for someone that wants to divide Israel... We're giving our consent to dividing up the land that God said don't divide. Am I helping you? Israel got in trouble when they went into the promised land. And remember what God said when they went into the promised land? He said, drive out the inhabitants. Now, now secular people say, but you know, see that's occupation. No, God had promised them that land 470 years before. He told Abram at the time of the sacrifice in Genesis 15, he told Abraham, your descendants are going to go into bondage 400 years. Right? But because of Moses' disobedience and impatience, he cost them an extra 30. Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was preaching, he said after 430 years they came out of bondage. Well, they wandered in the wilderness 40 years. So it was 470 years from the time of the promise to Abraham to the time they went into the promised land. 
So they were not occupying something in the sense of going in and just driving somebody out who the land belonged to. God had given it to Israel 470 years previous. But where did they get in trouble? Read it. You can, you can study it. Read it when they went in. They, they, they drove certain groups out, but certain groups gave them a hard time and they put them under tribute. God never told them to put them under tribute. He said, drive them out. Why? Because if you've got them in the land and they're under tribute, now it's a divided land. You got people in the land that weren't supposed to be in the land. God cares about everybody, but He's bound by His word. And what He promised, He promised. What He promised to Abraham and his seed, He promised. And here's something that God can't go back on. He said, my blessing will never be upon those people that hate you. It cannot be. And that's why in those nations that you see that surround Israel, and even in Europe, you see those nations around Israel that hate Israel and want to destroy Israel. There's a constant turmoil. There's a constant up and down. There's constant risings up in political power. There, there, there's constant shift in dictators and ruling parties. Why? The blessing can never rest on those nations because they will not bless Israel. People look at our nation and say, how is it that we've had one constitution for over 200 years? That in the history of a nation that's over 200 years old, we've had 44 leaders, 44 presidents in 200 and some odd years. Why are we so stable? Why are things so wonderful? Because we bless Israel. And he said, when you bless Israel, my blessing will rest on you. Do you, do you see that? And so when someone says, let's divide the land, they're saying, we want to bring the curse on this. God will never honor that. God will never honor that. And we'll look at this in a moment. Am I helping you so far? So this makes it clear that God gave the land to Israel forever. And any attempt to make Israel give up their lands is a slap in God's face. All right. Notice Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. Thank you, Lord. And, and I know people, well-meaning ministers, well-meaning Christians, they, they act like the issue with Israel doesn't matter. It, it is one of the key boards in the platform. Amen. Zechariah 2 and 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory he has sent me unto the nations, which spoiled you, for he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. The apple of the eye is, is the core, the, the, the center of your eye. La niña de tus ojos. All right, that's, that's a song we sing in, in Constructores de Fe. La niña de tus ojos. All right, the apple of his eye. I'm the apple of God's eye. And God tells Israel here, He says, when somebody touches you, it's like they're putting their finger in my eye. In God's eye. So when someone says divide the land, they're poking their finger in God's eye. Amen. Uh, Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3. So much here. I, I whittled it down to uh, three pages. 
Joel 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days and in that time, I will bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. I will gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. Here's the phrase, and parted my land. The Amplified Bible says they have divided my land. And when he says I'm going to plead with them, it doesn't mean he's going to ask them and beg them. He's going to deal with them because they divided the land. Do you see this? So the two criteria again by which any nation is judged, the way they treat the people of Israel and what they do about the land of Israel, the way they treat the people and what they do about the land. Now, I, I want to share some information with you. We're, then we'll, we'll get into some important facts. Hallelujah. Israel was reborn. And uh, for the sake of time, uh, in 1917 through 1922, they had what they called the Balfour Declaration. All right? Which basically... In, in, endorsed Israel's desire to reestablish their homeland. And, and when they did, they were given that piece of land that at that time included all of what we see as Israel and Jordan, which was all in their biblical right. It was even bigger than that. In 1922 through 1933... Britain had been given the mandate by the League of Nations at that time to disperse this land. By 1922, they came under Arab pressure and Britain violated the mandate and cut off 77% of the land that they had originally given. 77%. And basically whittled it down to the, to the sect of land that we see now. Now... Here's the thing, though. They granted it exclusively to the Hashemites and forbade Jewish settlement in what became Jordan. But that was the land that God gave Israel. And they said, you Israelites, you Jews, cannot settle in the land God gave you. All right? Today, over 70% of Jordanians are Palestinian Arabs in Jordan. In 1923, they violated the mandate again and gave the Golan Heights to the enemy, which later became Syria. Now, Israel has control of the Golan Heights today, and they won't give it up because it's a strategic defensive point for them. But here's the point. Twice, Britain went back on what they promised to the nation of Israel. At this time, 1917 through 1923, the statement made about Great Britain was this. The sun never sets on the British Empire. And it didn't. Their empire reached around the globe. From this moment, Great Britain started going down, 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 down. Until today, they're not even recognized as a superpower. They're not even a superpower in Europe. Why? 
they put their finger in God's eye. This is what you say, but this is what we say. And they have political upheaval. Some, some people say that, that England is soon to be the next European country that falls to Islam. Why? The blessing of God cannot rest on a nation that says give the land away. Divide it. You can't do that. Amen. In 1947, there was a resolution made to partition the remaining land between the Arabs and the Jews. And the Jewish portion had a Jewish majority and the Jewish leaders accepted it even though their portion comprised only 13% of the original mandate. And 60% of that 30% was the Negev desert. But guess what? Israel took the land that was given and the people started coming there and the Negev desert blossomed because the people were there. Isn't it interesting? When you go to the nation of Israel, the portion of land that the Palestinians control is desolate. Am I right? It's desolate. Why is it desolate? It doesn't belong to them. It will not bring forth for them because it's not their land. It's not their land. It's so important. Amen. Arab leaders rejected the offer to create another Arab state and the mandate and instead went to war to seize the whole area and eliminate Israel. See, that, that, that seems to be the answer. If we don't get what we want, we'll just wipe you out. We'll just go to war. That doesn't work either. <laughs> that doesn't work either. Because God said, I'll fight for you. Amen. Just like He fights for us. Amen. Am I helping you? Now I'm giving you this information for a reason. In 1967, of course we're aware of the Six-Day War. Israel received... Uh, military intelligence that they were about to be hit on three sides by Egypt and Jordan and Syria and they launched a preemptive strike and destroyed Egypt's air force destroyed it not one plane got off the ground and in six days of fighting in six days of fighting they took back the Sinai Peninsula which is to the to the uh, uh, south of Israel which is part of Egypt, they took it back. They took back the West Bank. They took back the Golan Heights. Here's where the problem came in. Israel immediately began to negotiate land for peace. Moshe Dayan, you can, you, many of you remember Moshe Dayan, little short Jewish general with an eye patch. Man, what a guy. Just John Wayne as a Jew. But he made a mistake. He took back the Temple Mount. He had control of that entire area and he turned around and gave it back to the Muslims. Who did he do that in the face of? God. In other words, they were saying, we did this on our own. You didn't help us. We don't have to listen to what you're saying. Amen. Amen. Syria and Egypt and Jordan 
refused to talk or recognize Israel. And in 1973, Syria and Egypt launched a surprise attack to destroy Israel on Yom Kippur, the Yom Kippur War. And again, they were defeated. Soundly. Now, why, why, why is that important? Because it's the division of the land. God gave them back all the land that they had lost, and they turned around and gave it away. Amen. Do you see this? Now, a little closer to where we're at. In 1995, they signed what they called the Oslo Accord. And that was basically where uh, Israel agreed to withdraw from the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And uh, listen to what they agreed to. They called for the creation of a Palestinian police force of 30,000 men to keep order and control militant factions. Israel agreed to provide arms for the new police force. The PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, again agrees to stop incitement, amend the PLO charter that still calls for Israel's destruction, and to guarantee respect for Jewish holy sites. This is September 28, 1995. Now, at that time, Yasser Arafat was still alive. He's passed away since. But this is important. 95, they're agreeing to stop calling for Israel's destruction. January 30th, 1996, Yasser Arafat to an Arab audience in Stockholm, Sweden. You understand we plan to eliminate the state of Israel and establish a purely Palestinian state. We'll make life unbearable for Jews by psychological warfare, Population explosion. I have no use for Jews. They are and remain Jews. Now, why am, I, why am I going through this? Because in September 28, 95, they're saying we will quit calling for Israel's destruction. January 30th, less than a year later, we still plan to eliminate them. Amen. In July 11th of 2000, Camp David negotiations. This is when Prime Minister Ehud Barak and Yasser Arafat met with uh, one Bill Clinton. And Ehud Barak went in there and gave Arafat and the PLO everything they wanted. All the land, they conceded to everything. You know what, you know what Arafat did? Slammed his fist on the table and left. They got everything they wanted. That isn't what they wanted. They want the destruction of the nation, not the land. Are you following me? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now this is where I wanted to get us. In June 4th, 2003, President Bush, George W., he had what they called the Roadmap to Peace. And it was endorsed by the summit they were at. The Prime Minister of Israel was Ariel Sharon, who sometime later passed away of a stroke. Palestinian Prime Minister Mahmoud Abbas, Jordan's King Abdullah and President Bush. It called for the Palestinians to end terrorism and anti-Israel incitement. 
incitement. Israel is to help the Palestinians build their institutions and freeze settlement building. Now, remember I talked about those words? Freeze settlement building. And you'll hear the press say illegal settlements. How can a Jewish settlement be illegal in a land that God said was yours forever? How is that possible? Can't be possible. It's their land. When you, when you want to tell the Jewish people you cannot build any more settlements in your land, you're doing that in the face of God. The United States said we want an indivisible Jewish capital in Jerusalem. The world wants a divided capital. This part for the Jews, this part for the Arabs. God says, no, I don't want my nation divided. See, this is important. If the blessing of God is to stay on this nation, this nation has to treat Israel right. And we have to line up with what the Scripture says. Amen. And it envisioned the establishment of a Palestinian state by 2005. Now, God appeared to Abraham three different times. In uh, Genesis 12. Genesis 12. And uh, verse 6. And Abram passed through the land under the place of Shechem, under the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Under your seed will I give this land. And there he builded an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Shechem today is Nablus. N-A-U-B-L-U-S. Nablus. It's a stronghold for the PLO. Palestinian Liberation Organization for Israel's enemy. The second time he appeared to him was in Hebron. Hebron, Genesis 13. Verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after, the lot, after lot was separated from him, lift up now your eyes, look from the place where you're at, to the north, the south, the east, the west, all the land that you see, I will give it to your seed forever. To you and your seed. Then verse 18, Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Today, Hebron is largely populated by Arabs. This is where Abraham, Sarah, Rebekah, Jacob, and Rachel are all buried is in Hebron, in the land that God said, I've given to you and your seed forever. Thirdly, he appeared to him in Mount Moriah, Genesis 22, 1 through 2 and 15 through 18. And that's where God again promised the land unto his seed forever. Mount Moriah is where the Temple Mount is located today. It's the, probably the third holiest site in Islam. They, they claim that the rock is there that Abraham sacrificed Isaac on. I don't know if it is or not. But it's right in Jerusalem. Now here's something to see. If you take the three altars where God appeared to Abraham and you lay a 21st century map over the map of Israel 
you will find that all three of those places are in the West Bank. All of them. The place the world says belongs to the Palestinians and should be their homeland. And in each of those instances, God said, look at the land. I'll give you this land to your seed forever. But yet the world says it belongs to somebody else. Now, why is that important? Because when you start saying the land belongs to somebody else, you're saying we don't believe God and they have no right to be there. You're agreeing with God's enemies. And any nation that finds itself on the sides of God's enemies, guess what? They become God's enemy. Amen? Amen. There's some interesting parallels. I want you to see this. I'll be done in just maybe five minutes. In August of 2005, we read about this. Israeli Prime Minister Sharon, at the prompting of the U.S., President Bush, began removing Israeli settlements in Gaza, which is to the south of Israel, towards Egypt, and parts of the West Bank that we just talked about. The U.S. provided $50 million to the Palestinians for new housing and infrastructure projects in Gaza. Here's the problem that people don't see. Israel is not trying to stop the Palestinians from building. They're saying, we want you to build. We'll let you build, but this is our land. Recognize us as the owners. They won't do that. That's the problem. We want autonomy. We want our own state. Well, you know, that happened in this nation some time ago. It was called the Civil War. Right? That's just been going on for centuries longer. Amen. They provided $50 million to the Palestinians for new housing and infrastructure projects in Gaza, putting pressure on them to do this. August 29th. Now, this started in August of 2005. August 29th of 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, and devastated New Orleans. It's now being called the largest natural disaster in U.S. history. I don't think it's a coincidence that it came on the heels of us demanding that Israel root up its people out of their land and move them. Do you realize that not only did they have to move their families and move their existing families and those that were alive, they had to go to the Jewish graveyards and dig up their loved ones and take their remains with them. Because they can't be buried anywhere but Israel. For an Israeli, the presence of God is attached to the land. If they lose the land, they lose the presence of God. Amen. That's ingrained in them. When they talk about Israel, they don't just talk about proud to be an Israeli. They talk about how they love the land, how their life is tied to the land, how precious the land is. Why? It is ingrained in them from childhood. God gave us this land. He said in the book, in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, Talk to your children about that every day. Don't let them forget that I brought you out of bondage and brought you and gave you this land. 
And every time the world says, give it up, give it up, they're saying that story's not true. And as Bible believers, we know that it is. 9,000 Israelis were evicted by their, by their own government. It's been called the worst abandonment of Jews in history. And the largest forced evacuation in Israeli history. They had homes that they had lived in for years. They had raised their family there. They had raised their children there. And at the prompting of our nation and other nations, their own nation came in and made them move. It didn't work. It didn't work. The violence didn't end. Why? Because there's no stopping. When you're dealing with an enemy that wants the eradication of a race, the eradication of a people group, they will not stop when they get this piece of land. They want the next piece of land. It's important. Every time pressure is put on Israel to give land to the Palestinians, we're throwing our opinion in the face of God. God said it was their seed, their land forever. Let me go back a little further. In 1991, George H.W. Bush, George W.'s father, had the highest approval rating of any president. We had just come out of Desert Storm. He had, he had ran Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait. You know, Saddam said it was going to be the mother of all wars. It turned into romper room. Drove them out in a matter of days. Destroyed their military had the highest approval rating of any president ever. He was running against a guy you may know, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was considered a joke. Everybody thought he was just a joke. And he was. Quite frankly, he was. I'm not talking about the man personally. He just was. But Mr. Bush had a Secretary of State named James Baker who didn't care for Israel. Behind closed doors, he used very vulgar terms about the Israelis and, and in very vulgar terms said they needed to be made to give that land up. He was responsible for much of the uh, diplomacy that went on. He did that in the face of God. George Bush lost that election. People say he shouldn't have, but he did. How does a president with the highest approval rating ever lose an election? Because the blessing of God cannot rest on someone that will curse Israel. It cannot. It cannot. That's, that's why we're a part of Christians United for Israel. We support Israel. The Lord told my pastor something one time, and I took it serious. He said, you do anything you can to support Israel. That's what we do. Amen. President Clinton snubbed the prime minister of Israel one day before the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke. Now, you can read that and think, well, that's all coincidence. No, it's not. God didn't cause that hurricane. But what if we had not put pressure on Israel? Would protection have been lifted? The way you treat Israel will determine how God views you. 
Every time a politician says we should give the Palestinians their homeland, where would it be? Over the altars Abraham built in response to the promises of God. Every time. Israel does not need the United States. We need them. We need them. When you look at our nation and you look at our military and you look at our strength and you look at our economy, ever ever what hiccups it's had because of this pandemic, and you look at it, you look at where we're at and how God has kept this nation. It's because at some point in time throughout the generations, we've had a remnant group of people in politics and other places that supported Israel. Amen. And if, when, you, when you vote, when you make your decision, that has to be one of the main planks that you look at. What do they think about the nation of Israel? How will they treat the Jewish people? There are nations in this world that have never recovered because of their treatment of the Jewish people. And they won't. If they don't change, they never will recover. Why? Because the blessing of God cannot rest on it. That's why the Bible says very familiar scripture. It says, it says very plainly, it says when you pray that you should pray for the peace of Jerusalem because they will prosper that love you. And he said you pray for peace within her borders. You pray for peace within her homes, her towns, her villages. Why? Because you prosper when you love Israel. So important. And so this is what the parties say about Israel. This is what the Bible says about Israel. Whenever you hear someone saying, let's divide the capital, let's divide the nation, you can't go down that road. You can't go down that road. You can't put your agreement on that. You can't do it because it's against what God said. Well, I mean, you can, but if I want to be a biblical voter, I can't. Because it's against what God said. And I'll finish with this. And there are believers, and I've basically heard them say it. That, you know, well, you know, I mean, that's their conflict. No, no, that's our conflict. Because we may not be there in the Middle East. We may not be there on the ground. But that is our counterpart. We haven't replaced them. We have been brought into their covenant. You know, when you're, when you're tempted to think, that they can be wrong. Remember something. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus lived in Israel under occupation by the Roman government. Jesus knows what it's like to be ostracized and occupied in your own nation. Here he is, the God that made the promise to Abraham and he's, he's under occupation in his own land that he created and he gave. So he knows, what, he knows what it's like. And that's why he says, when you pray, you pray for my people Israel and you pray that they'll prosper and you pray that there would be peace there. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? So as November 3rd rolls around, you know, let me finish with this. I've had people sometimes, they'll say, well, you know, it sounds like 
that you're endorsing a certain party because of this. Understand this. If it sounds that way, it's because the party that it sounds that way about is the party that most closely aligns himself with the word. I don't care what candidate it is. If it's a libertarian candidate and he's more biblically sound than the other guy, I'm going to vote for him. Yeah, but this guy promised that. Yeah, and how many times have you seen that lie? Promises mean nothing if the platform is contrary to this. Every financial promise that a politician makes to you it is very dependent on the way they treat Israel. They can make all the promises they want, and if they mistreat Israel, you'll never see any of it. Because it'll dry up. I've said, I, did I have, I said I, I'm, I'll close with this three times yet? Because I get three. One more? Okay, one more. I believe God. If, if you look at the previous administration, and it's not just because it's a democratic administration. Our nation was weakened militarily. Our nation was weakened socially, spiritually. It was morally, it was fundamentally changed. Fundamentally changed. Do you know how much angst there was against the nation of Israel? The prime minister of Israel came to our nation and was not invited to the White House. And that has nothing to do with the man being a Democrat or, or the color of his skin. I, that's not what I'm talking about. He was not invited to the White House. The first time ever. That hurt our country. The Lord said to me when he gave me the prophecy about the lion, he made the statement. He said, make no mistake, it is your president's stand for Israel that's going to protect you and keep you. That, 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 that's exactly what he said. I can read it exactly. He said, he said, when your president blessed and stood in support of Israel in the face of harsh, vicious criticism, it produced two things. Hatred from those who have no love for my people Israel and blessing, support, and protection from me. The hatred you see against your president is not because of his personality. It's because he took a stand against the enemies of Israel and took a stand for Israel and its people. Make no mistake, this action, will, will, this, action this stand, will preserve and protect you. I believe that. And so when you make your decision and you pray and vote, vote biblically. Amen? Because at the end of the day, I am, I'm the only one that can be responsible for how I cast my vote. It's not only a constitutional right and a right of Americans, it's a God-given right. Amen? So please, please, please treat it as such. Amen? Let's stand up, shall we? Praise God.